We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Um, but look what it says first of all as we work our way towards that. It says in verse 1, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. And so the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Now, if you remember, we're studying now in the book of Joshua on how all the different tribes were receiving their inheritance. And now we finally come to the final tribe, so to speak, the tribe of Levite. Now, they're not going to own land. They're just going to be given cities to dwell in. But this will now complete them and the people of God receiving their land. Not the rest of the tribes have recovered their inheritance. The tribe of Levi come forward and Joshua and the responsible leaders think about this. They give them cities to dwell in. They wouldn't own the land, but they would dwell in it. All this was according to the promise of the Lord back in the book of Numbers chapter 35. If you read verses 1 through 5, God says, I promise you, I'm going to give you cities to live in. And so now you fast forward. Here we are, the book of Joshua 21. We see that they fought for seven years, and then finally the day comes that they get their land. And it's so cool when you see the Lord's faithfulness in that. Here we see that they would be given the land, cities to dwell in. Notice in verse 2 with their common lands for our livestock. So they had their houses, they had their lands, and they had the livestock and the pasture lands all around it. And so we see here, we're going to go through this chapter. It's kind of a tough chapter because he gives a lot of names. But notice what we read in verse 7. Now the lot came out for the family of the Kohathites. And the children of Aaron, the priests who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot from the family of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bishan. And the children of Merari, says right here, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites. And so you're wondering, what is all this, man? <laughs> How does it all work? Well, it's just God's faithfulness. So you're like, well, I don't know about all these names. I don't know about the sons of Levite. Who's Kohath and who's Gershon and who's this guy, Merari? It sounds like Ferrari. Who is this guy, you know? And you know, right, we don't know their name. We know that the tribe of Levi had three families and they would come down, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari. Now under Kohath, Aaron was included in there, but still Kohath had other sons. And so that's the way he's kind of breaking it down. And so you're here and you're like, well, I, I, it doesn't really matter to me all these names. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you matter? Does your name matter? What if your name was in there? You know, the family of the Maniites, okay? And you're like, well, I don't know the Maniites, and to you it doesn't mean anything, but to me and my family and my descendants, it means a whole lot. 
And basically, it's all, it's just real simple. God says, these are the cities I was, I would promise to you. And now, He gives them. You see, and that's the way the Lord is, man. The promises of God are amazing, you guys. You know, I was reading this uh, little thing right here. I want to share it with you because this was amazing. Looking at all the different promises of God. Let me read this to you. How many promises of God in the Bible? Dr. Everick R. Storms of Ontario spent a vast amount of time studying the promise of Scripture. And he wrote this in a magazine. He says, The Holy Scriptures contain a grand total of 8,810 promises. How many? 8,810 promises. He says, how do I know? Well, I counted them. He says, all of my life I've seen various figures quoted as to the number of promises in the Bible. The one most generally given is 30,000. Since this is a round number with four zeros in it, I've always been a little suspicious about it. Furthermore, since there are only 31,100 verses in the Bible, uh, it, it would mean that there's practically one promise in every verse. And so he questioned that. And so what he did was he read his Bible and he counted every single promise. He said this, There are 7,487 promises from God to man. And that's the one you really want to take note of. 7,487 promises from God to man. There are 991 instances of one person making a promise to another person. There are 290 promises from man to God. There's promises from angels. There's even promises from the devil, even though he lied about it, right? Um, two promises are made by an evil spirit. Two are made by God the Father to God the Son. And what he wanted us to point out, though, is that when it comes to this one right here, the 7,487 promises of God, he said, they all come to pass. You know, and that's the way it is, you guys. The promises of God. One day when we're in heaven and we've gone through all these things that we've gone through in life and maybe we have questions and we're wondering, well, how's it all work out? Even now, for those of you who have been walking in obedience to the Lord, I know this, that you are reaping the benefits of your obedience. If you're walking in disobedience, God's got some other promises too. I'm going to give you a trancaso, right? <laughs> some of you here, you've been dis- disciplined by God. Why? Because you just haven't followed Him. But if you follow God and you become that type of man, that type of husband, that type of friend, that type of worker, that type of human being, according to the pages of Scripture, I promise you, God promises you, I will bless your life. Oh, you might not be rich, but you're going to find out that riches don't make you happy. See, it's the joy of the Lord. It's the peace of the Lord. It's the love of God. It's the beauty of relationships. You see, it's the freedom that we have in the Lord. And so we're reading through all these cities right here, and these guys are getting their cities. You know, and to us it may not mean a whole lot, but to them it meant everything. It meant that God's word was true, and the day finally came when they received their promises. So we have the same truth for our life. In verses uh, 4 through 5, we have the Kohathites. In verse 6, we have Gershon receiving his uh, cities. In verse 7, the children of Morari received 12 cities. And then if you go all the way from verses 8 through 19, here we have really in verses 8 through 40, 48 cities listed by name, given to the children of Aaron, the children of Kohath, the children of Gershon, and the children of Merari. Remember, Levi, three families, Kohath, Gershon, Merari. Aaron was of the tribe of, uh, of the family of Kohath, and Kohath had other kids. And that's why you see it all divvied up like this. In verses 8 through 19, we see cities by name 
for the children of Aaron. And so let's read those. Bear with me. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce them right, but let's just at least read through them. It says in verse 8 again, And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And so they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon these cities which are designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And they gave them, here it is, you ready? Kerjath Arba, Arba was the father of Anak, that's a giant, right? Which is in Hebron in the mountains of Judah with the common land surrounding it. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. Thus to the children of Aaron, the priests, they gave Hebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Libna with its common land, Jadar with its common land, Eshtemoah with its common land, Holon with its common land, Deber with its common land, Ain with its common land, Juta with its common land, Bath, Shemesh with its common land, nine cities from those two tribes, and from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its common land, Geba with its common land, Anathoth with its common land, and Almon with its common land, four cities, all the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were 13 cities with their common lands. Now, one of the things you'll notice, and we'll touch on this later, is that these lands, they're given from different tribes. We're going to see, on the average, each tribe gave four cities that they were distributed throughout the the land of Israel. The reason for that is because part of their responsibility was to teach the Word of God. And if all the priests were over here, let's just say in the the land of Simeon or the land of Judah, then you'd have people a hundred miles away from the nearest Bible teaching church, right? And so what does God do? God spreads all the priests around, right? Throughout the land so that no one is too far from hearing the word of God. Beautiful, beautiful thing that the Lord does. And so he gives 13 cities to Aaron. Remember, Aaron is of the family of Kohath. But Kohath has other kids, okay? So we read next in verse 20. And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Kohath, even they had the cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. For they gave them Shechem with its common land and the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge for the slayer, Gizer with its common land, Gibzam with its common land, and Beth Horon with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Dan, Eltica with its common land, Gibbethon with its common land, Aijalon with its common land, and Gathrimon with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Manasseh, Tanak with its common land, and Githrimon, Gathrimon with its common land, two cities. So all the ten cities with their common lands were for the rest of the families of the children of Kohath. And so we read next about the cities, it says in verse 27, to the children of Gershon. How many families from Levi? Three, Kohath, Gershon, and Ferrari, right? No, I'm just joking, Ferrari. <laughs> also to the children of Gershon, of the families of Levites, from the other half tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, and B, Eshterah with its common land, two cities, and from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its common land, Dabath with its common land, Almani with his common land, and Enganim with his common land. See, that would mean something to you, huh? 
You guys are like, well, these are real cities. These are real cities. And from the tribe of Asher, Mishal with his common land, Abdon with his common land, Helkath with his common land, Rehob with his common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh and Galilee with his common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Hamath Dor with its common land, and Kartan with its common land, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their common lands. And so remember, Levi, three families. Kohath, Aaron was from Kohath, but he had other kids. Then you have Gershon, right? And then you have, next is Merari. It says in verse 34, And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulun, Jachniam with his common land, Karda with his common land, Dimna with his common land, and Halal with his common land, four cities, and from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with his common land, Jahaz with his common land, Kedemoth with his common land, and Mephaeth with his common land, four cities, and from the tribe of Gad, Ramath and Gilead with his common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Mahanaim with his common land, Heshbon with his common land, and Jazer with his common land, four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were, by their lot, twelve cities. And so we have them all divided up there. And then we get the summary in verse 41. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty-eight cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it, Thus were all these cities. Again, a total of 48 cities for the tribe of Levi to dwell in. They didn't own it, along with their common pasture lands. You know, a couple of things real quick, and then we'll move on. Right here, um, we see a quote from William MacDonald. It says, Every tribe gave four cities except Judah and Simeon, which gave nine cities between them. They kind of gave four and a half, okay? And Naphtali, which gave three cities. The cities of refuge being of the Levites. We studied that last week. But then notice what it says right here. They were scattered throughout all the tribes of Israel to fulfill the prophecy of Jacob in Genesis 49, 5-7 and to better facilitate their teaching ministry to the nation. And so even though they were distributed by Lot, God choosing, it was all part of God's preordained plan to bless the people. Because what happens when they learn the word of God, they learn how to make good decisions in life. They learn how to follow the Lord. You know, and then what ends up happening is those good decisions then make you. And that's why it's so cool to see you guys here on a Thursday night studying what? The Bible. You don't want my word. You want God's word, right? And we learn these lessons. Notice what it says right here in verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. And like I said, you know, for us, we know for sure this is what's going to happen in heaven. We're going to be up there. We're probably going to have you know, a little garnet the barbecue or something. 
And we're going to be talking. And we're going to say, wow, trip out on this, bro. Isn't this amazing? Everything that God said, it came to pass. It's all true. And what we see right here in looking at God's faithfulness in the past, it is an encouragement for our future. All the promises of heaven, of life, and everlasting joy is there. What we see is the Lord blesses them. He gave them the land. Again, in verse 43, the Lord gave to Israel all the land. That was a promise back in Genesis 12, verse 7. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. God now gives them the land. The Lord gave them rest. It says right there in verse 44, the Lord gave them rest. How many of you here can use some rest? How many of you here are up late, you wake up early? How many of you here sleep in? You're kind of lazy, just out of curiosity, man. How many of you here are so tired that you sleep during the Bible study? (laughs) You're like, Manny, I need rest, okay? Well, this is not the rest we're speaking of here, but we are speaking of a rest for your soul. You know, when you go over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, I encourage you to read that chapter because that's really the rest that it's all about. You know, we're singing a song about how God loves us. And you know what? We can rest in that truth. It doesn't matter how good of a day you had or how bad of a day you had. It doesn't change God's love for you. You can rest in that. You can rest in the fact that when you die, you're going to heaven if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You can rest in His forgiveness. You can rest in His freedom. You can rest in the life that the Lord has given to you. You know, the contrast we see is religion, in which we see, you know, people are trying to earn their way to heaven. They're trying to work their way to heaven. That's not rest, that's works. But when you place your hand in Jesus' hand, when you give your life to Him, He gives you rest. And that's what we see here, the picture is. You know, they have rest now from the wars, and, you know, there's still going to be some battles going on. But generally speaking, God had given them rest. All of this was according to His Word. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. God had promised to give them rest. I love that verse because it talks about how His presence would go with them and He would give them rest. And so again, not one word fails of the promises of God. You know, it's kind of interesting. He says right there in verse 44 that not a man of all their enemies stood against them. It's amazing, man, what it is when you have the Lord on your side. You know, I've seen people struggle with drugs and alcohol and they just can't overcome. I've seen people struggle with anger and, you know, uh, pride, bitterness, uh, messed up relationships. I've seen people struggle with that. I'm sure you have too, you know, a lot of different struggles they have. And, you know, they can't, they can't overcome. They go into prison, they keep going back to prison, back to prison, back to prison. It's a revolving door. But what ends up happening, man, is when you come to the Lord, you know, He gives you victory over all that. He sets you free. Not a man will stand against you. And by that, it's not necessarily a physical man. I'm talking about demons. We're talking about all the opposition that we will experience in this world and all the challenges you have to be the person that God wants you to be. They will not hinder you. You will go forward. No one will be able to stand against you. See, if the Lord is on our side, who can be against us, right? And that's what we see right here. The Lord says, man, all these things 
came true. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. It all came to pass. You know, later Joshua will reiterate this certainty of God's word, not simply as a wonderful word, but also as a fearful word. Now think about this for a second. This is a real heavy, heavy thought, okay? We're talking about God fulfilling all of his promises, right? And here we are, and check this out, okay? This is heavy. We're going to be in heaven, right? And we're going to say, wow, it was all true, right? Okay? But what about those in hell? You know what? They're going to say the same thing. Huh? They're going to say, wow, it was all true. You know, if you go over to Joshua 23, look what it says right here. In verse 14, Joshua says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. In other words, he was about to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good thing which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And you're like, wait a minute, Manny, time out. You just told me that God loved me, okay? (laughs) Now you're telling me that if I disobey him, you know, life is not going to be hunky-dory anymore, right? It's exactly what I'm saying. God's promises are true. God's word is true. His wonderful words are true and His words of warning are true. And so that's why we have to understand the power of God's word. You know, it's the laws of the land in which we live life. God will bless obedience. But if you kick against the goads, and God's not going to let you go easy, man, but if you kick against the goads, you're going to suffer the consequences of even forgiven sin. And that's why it's important. You know, you don't have to look back, but just look forward. Okay, say, here we are, Lord, today. Help me from this day forward to live a life of obedience. Not one word of God will ever fail. Even Solomon said that when he uh, dedicated the temple. It says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all its good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. And that was the day they dedicated the temple. And you're going to see that different things as you go through life. You're going to be able to say the same thing. And so we read in chapter 22 a really, really cool story. Because look what it says in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and go to the land of your possession which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. You see the tribe of Reuben, okay, there's two and a half tribes. The tribe of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh 
had been faithful to their Lord and the people in the commitment they made to help their brethren on the west side. Now remember what the way it was, is the Lord had told them, because they said, hey, we like the land over here on the west side of the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan. And so Moses at first was like, I don't think so. You're on the wrong side of the Jordan. But they worked it out. They said, we'll go in and we'll fight. We'll help them get all their land on the west side of the Jordan. And once we're done, then we'll come back to our land. And so Joshua says right here, you guys now receive an honorable discharge, man. (laughs) You guys did it. You guys, as brothers, were faithful to your commitment. And I love what Joshua says right there. Notice again in verse 3. You have not left your brethren these many days. If you have an NIV, it says they didn't desert them. They didn't desert their brethren up to this day, but they've kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord their God. They had not deserted their brethren. They clung to their commitment and completed the job. And it wasn't a small price. You know, to have a brother is so cool. I'm talking about a real brother, not just a biological brother, although there is something about that that I think we need to hold on to because you're there till the day they die. You know, that blood is important. But also a spiritual brother. And to be able to pay the price to help them get their rest is so beautiful. You know how long these guys were fighting for their brethren? For seven years. Seven years. Think about that. Seven years away from their family. And they're fighting for their brothers. They're fighting for their nation. They're fighting for the Lord for seven years. And I just look at that and I think, wow, Lord, this is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, they were good brothers, good soldiers who would now receive an honorable discharge. But not everybody's like that, huh? Not all brothers are really brothers, huh? You know, I think of Genesis chapter 4. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? A lot of people have that mentality. Like, you know, it's, I'm not supposed to be helping them out all the time. But isn't that what a family is? Isn't that what brothers are? Isn't that what sisters are? You know, when they're going through a hard time and they need, you know, there they are in the battle and, and they need help, that we would be there for them. That we wouldn't desert them. That we would cling to our commitment that we've made as part of this family, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, to a certain extent we are. I mean, isn't that what we are? I mean, you know, that's a little bit of what brothers are supposed to do. We're not their saviors. But we are their brothers. It's true physically. It's true spiritually. You know, we know this is where these two and a half tribes, you know, had uh, victory. And Moses commended them for it. He now releases them. I'm sorry, Joshua. And he does so as any wise and loving leader would. He now sends them away with a word of warning. Notice in verse 5, it says, But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him and to serve Him 
with all your heart, with all your soul. And so Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. You know, you have to forgive me for making this illustration, you know, but I think about one day when we got to kind of let our kids go. You know, when they move out of the house. It should never happen, huh? <laughs> no, it should. We know it's got to happen, you know? And the kids got to go out, and, and you're like, man, you know, what words of wisdom will you tell them? Seriously, what are you going to tell them? <laughs> I, I, I mean, don't tell them, hey, you can't come back. I mean, don't say stuff like that, you know? I'm sure you're going to tell them, you're, you know, you're welcome here anytime. You can come over. Just, you know, don't wash your clothes here. Stuff like that, right? No, <laughs> no but the, the one word that we'll tell them is to love the Lord, right? To walk in His ways, to live a life of obedience. You know, I can't imagine. I, I just, I know I'm going to have that conversation one day when the, if the Lord tarries. And that's what I'll share with my daughter. I'll share with her, you've got to love the Lord. That's what I'll share with my son. You know, out of everything else, it doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you have, you know, a big mansion and you own a house. You know, it doesn't matter if you're successful in the eyes of the world. That doesn't really matter, son. That doesn't really matter, sweetheart. What matters is that you love the Lord. And you walk in His ways. And you cling to Him. Because we know as caring leaders, so to speak, that that's what it's all about. You know, and that's what Joshua shares with them. He says it in such a beautiful way. He tells them to live a life, to have a heart of love and obedience to the Lord their God. He says to them, be very careful to do this, to walk in God's ways, keeping His commandments, holding firmly to Him, serving God with all their heart and all their soul. Because we know that out in the world, there is great temptation, huh? Isn't there? I mean, you go, and we go on this Tuesday night, there's this really cool place that we go, I won't tell you where it's at, but they have 99 cent fish tacos, because then you guys might eat them all before we get there, you know? (laughs) 99 cent fish tacos. But it's a bummer, because they have happy hour on Tuesday nights. And so everybody goes, hey, let's go there. We're going to get some fish tacos, 99 cents. They're really, these are not wimpy fish tacos, man. These are big ones, right? But when you go there, they say, don't forget, happy hour tonight, 6 o'clock, be there. And what's the world? The world is just drawing you into drink. Drawing you into to being a person that you don't need to be. That's not the real you. I don't need some artificial substance to make me happy. You know, and there's that guy over there and he's got the drugs, they're all ready for you. And there's that girl over there, she's trying to ruin your family. I mean, there's so much temptation. You watch TV and every commercial almost is a temptation and billboards are temptations. And that's why when, our, when we let our kids go out and, you know, for us especially, we homeschooled our kids and so they've kind of been sheltered, so to speak. And we almost, you know, want to blindfold them. You know, don't look, don't look. But they have to face it sooner or later. You know, and you want to tell them, be careful. Be careful, right? Because we know the temptations that's on the other side of the river. And so these guys, it's kind of cool Chapter 21, God's faithful. Chapter 22, uh, these guys are faithful. Gad, Reuben, the half-tribe of Manasseh. But they're not perfect. 
Because look what happens next. It says in verse 7, Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses gave a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. And so the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Like what we read here, not only did Joshua warn them, Joshua blessed them, and he sent them away. You know, I, I love that, that blessing in Numbers chapter 6, 22 and to 27, and maybe it was something like that. You know, how do we bless you guys? Do I go like this? Lord bless you and keep you. Is that how I bless you? Not necessarily. You know how I would bless you? As I pray for you. That's what they said in Numbers 6. It said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Now we know that was the high priestly blessing. But it was something like that. You know. And and, and as I was talking about earlier. You know. Sending our kids out with the command. To obey the Lord. Just love the Lord. I mean. I can't help but also think about that day. Undoubtedly. I'm going to be praying for them. I'm going to be praying right there and then. Mijo, let's pray. Mija, let's pray. And those prayers will never stop. That's how you can bless your family. You know, you bless your families. It's kind of funny. You don't sprinkle holy water on them necessarily. You bless your family by being a blessing. You bless your family by praying for them. That's what Joshua did. Before he sent them off, he prayed for them. They had acquired a lot of riches because they fought for it. And then he said, go back and, and share your riches with all the people. Beautiful, beautiful things. Not only of physical riches, but I think spiritual riches. And so now they begin to head back. But look what happens. It says in verse 10, And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. And you're like, what? What did they do? They built an altar? How foolish. How foolish it is that they would build an altar. I mean, we know, they should know that there is only supposed to be one altar, that back in the tabernacle in Shiloh. And not only did they build an altar, but check it out right here, it says they built an impressive altar, a great impressive altar. And what that means is it was real big. It was a real big altar that they beat, that they built. And in looking at that, we're going to see later how the whole story unfolds. It would definitely look wrong 
It had the appearance of evil all over it, man. That they would build an altar. Because what do you do on altars, you guys? What do you do on altars? You offer sacrifices on altars. That's what altars are for. You offer sacrifices on altars. Now later on, when you study the history of the children of Israel, they built other altars. And whenever a good king would come in, he would tear down those altars. And when a bad king came in, they would build more altars. And so that was really bad to build an altar. It was foolish. Here we see that they were building this altar and and we see that that's a real real wrong thing. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5:22 it says abstain from every form of evil. And that's a very important verse for us because we're going to see later that they that they meant well but they did wrong. And, and, it, and that can cause a lot of harm. We need to abstain from every form of evil, every appearance of evil. The word translated form here in First Thessalonians, it speaks of the external or outward appearance. That's why the old King James translates this verse more accurately, you know, abstain from every appearance of evil. You know, it definitely was not wise for these two and a half tribes to do this. And to make matters worse, they did it without the consent of their leaders, not letting anyone else know the motivations of their heart. And so let me ask you a question, okay? What do you do when your friends do something that looks so bad, so wrong? What would you do? I know. Gossip, right? You're like, yeah, put it on Facebook real quick right here. Man. Uh, we're going to get this out there. there. And we start talking. And, and it's cool because we're going to learn what, what we're supposed to do. We're going to learn what friends do. What friends do when their friends are doing things that look really wrong. And they may mean well, but they do wrong. What do you do? Well, notice what it says right here in verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now, I know that sounds bad, right? <laughs> oh, let's go to war, okay? I know it sounds bad, but here's the thing. When your friends are doing wrong and you see it, it's just so wrong, you know, you don't be one of those friends who does nothing, that's not a friend. Well, we see, first of all, what they do that's right is that they have a heart of confrontation. They have a heart of confrontation. You know, you, you should go and you should begin to talk to them. We're going to see that's exactly what they do. Now, in order to have a heart of confrontation, there's got to be three things present in your life. Number one, you've got to be a person of consecration. Because if you don't care about the holiness of God, if you don't care about the congregation, because sin will mar a congregation... If you have no consecration, then there will be no confrontation. Secondly, you have to have a heart of care. If you don't care about them, you know, where that will head, then of course you're not going to do anything. But thirdly, you have to have a heart of courage. It takes courage to confront, doesn't it? You know, because you don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers, man. 
But see, that's not what friends do. If there's something that it looks bad and you're wondering and you're not even sure about it, you know, really begin to pray and really begin to search your heart. If you're a person of consecration, care, and courage, then you're going to go forward and you're going to uh, practice, I guess you could say, intervention. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Has your friends, have they ever wounded you? Ever. Have you ever wounded anybody? I know it sounds weird. You want me to wound somebody? Yeah. (laughs) You need to wound people every once in a while, man. Because, you know, yeah, you don't want to hurt them, but you don't want to harm them by not saying anything. See, that's exactly what happened. They began to go forward and stir things up, and and they're ready to go to war, right? Because they are people of consecration, care, and courage. And so what do we read next? We see in verse 13, Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourselves an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry, notice, with the whole congregation of Israel. You see, Don't just do nothing. Begin to pray and ask God what the approach will be. You see your friend over there and they walk into a bar. Then they walk into a bar the next day and then they are the next day. What are you going to do? You know, you have to have a heart of, number one, confrontation. But then secondly, you have to have a heart of conversation. A heart for conversation. And that's exactly what... You know, Joshua and the leaders do, Eliezer, Phinehas, the leaders do. They go and they talk. Now, earlier we read about them going to war. Okay, now that's kind of extreme. If they would have went and wiped them out without talking to them, that would have been wrong. But they came and they, and they began to speak. What are you guys doing? This is what it looks like and it's very wrong. I need to warn you about things like this. What ends up happening? You remember the situation there in Baal of Peor when the Moabite woman came down and they seduced the men? They slept with them sexually. They committed idolatry. 24,000 people died. And you warn them. You begin to talk with them, right? The children of Israel sent them and they spoke with them. Now we know Israel was consecrated to God and that they were ready to fight and to cut out the cancer if necessary. right? But before they took those types of measures, they talked with them. They did some investigation and they were willing to reason with them. And then we need to have the, the same heart. You know, Some of you guys, if I could just say as a quick side note, you need to do that with your kids. Talk to them. You're like, what for? 
Because, <laughs> man, you want to find out where they're at, what's going on in their life, what their motivation really was. Anyways, we look at this right here and we see Proverbs 18.13, He who answers the matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And that's why you can't make judgments. You see something, it doesn't look good, you're going to step in, but you're not going to make a judgment yet. Not until you talk to the individual. It turns out that that individual that went in that bar three days in a row went looking for their father. And you're like, oh. (laughs) Right? You need to talk with them. You need to find out what's going on. We see in verse 13, one last thing that we need to do. Whenever we see a situation like this, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, 13, we already got that. Uh, We need to move on to the next step in verse 19. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us, but do not rebel against the Lord nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. We see the third thing that we need to do when we're in that situation. Number one, a heart of confrontation. Number two, a heart of conversation. And then number three, a heart to help them. Because what they say to them is they say, okay, you guys, maybe there's something wrong with what's going on over there where you're at on the east side. I tell you what, why don't you come back and live with us? Even though we've already got our lands and everything, I'll tell you what, you can come and live with us. And we'll help you out. You see, and that's kind of the way it works, you know? Some people, they're real good at pointing out problems, but not at offering solutions. And what friends do is, is they're there to help each other, you guys. And that's a pretty amazing thing. You know, they had just gotten their land. I'm sure they were all really excited about it. But now they were willing to make the sacrifice if necessary. You can come over and we'll take you in. We'll absorb you. We'll help you. We'll work this out together. You see, and that's what friends do. You know, when looking at this right here, it's cool. You know, Eliezer, he points out again the, the, the warnings in verse 20 about Achan about how he, you know, sinned and just how it affected everyone. The children of Israel died. 36 soldiers died. His family died. And so he goes and God does a work. And so he comes, he converses with them and then we read in closing the way that these guys responded. In verse 21, And so the children of Reuben, the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows and let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord Himself require an account. But, in fact, we have done it for fear. They did it for fear. Why? Because the Bible says the fear of man, it brings a snare, huh? Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. That's why they did it. They were afraid. They didn't fear God, they feared man, right? 
What ends up happening? He says, man, this is why we did it. We did it for fear, for a reason, saying in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be when they say this to our generation in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made. Though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before His tabernacle." What had happened was they built this altar in order to maintain unity. But the problem was they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. They didn't seek the counsel of the leaders. They did things in the arm of the flesh. They meant well, but they did wrong. If you read Psalm 133, we don't have time to go there, but the whole chapter, it's a real long chapter, three verses, if you read that chapter, man... It's about how unity comes from above. You know, here we are as a church, and you know, how do you maintain the unity in the church? Should I build some type of altar? You know, is it something that Manny can do? Is it something that man can do? No. Unity is only something that God can do. See, unity comes down from above. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. I think we have a quote here. He says, Unity must come down from above, like the oil of running down Aaron's beard and bathing the twelve jewels on the breastplate, or like dew ascending on the mountains. You can manufacture uniformity by manipulating people and exerting pressure, but true unity can only come from God by His Spirit. You see, we don't have to conjure up things. We don't have to threaten people. We just have to let the Lord do the work. Like our brother here, you know, Angel, he's playing the guitar. What does he do? He tunes up to a certain octave, right? And then everyone else tunes up to that same octave and then we're tuned to each other. See, when we're tuned to the Lord, maintain that unity with Him, then we're going to have the unity with each other. See, they built the altar because they thought that they should do this to maintain unity. They were afraid of man, not of God. And all they really had to do was stay close to the Lord. See? And what we see is that they meant well, but they did not do well. And we can do that, man. I really want to encourage you, because I would venture to say that most of you here mean well. You want to do well. But you don't always do well, huh? I know some of you, man. Right? What's the, what's the difference then? We all are motivated by the right thing. What's the difference? Are you following the Lord? Are you praying about things? Are you asking counsel? 
before we spontaneously build some altar. We really have to be led by the Lord. And so in the end, everything works out. We close in verse 30. It says, Now when Phinehas, the priests, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priests and the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. And so the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. And the Lord, kind of in the end, He kind of works everything out, doesn't He? You see, and I think it's important for us to have the same heart. You know, that's what a friend can do. I really want to encourage you guys today to go away with a lot of different promises. But let's just say one is this, that all the promises of God are true. You know, some of you here, maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you don't even know the Lord. I'm going to tell you this right now. God loves you and God wants you to be part of His family. He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for you. And if you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus, He'll set you free. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. You know, and all the promises of God are true. He'll bless your life. I really want to encourage you to learn that lesson tonight as all the Levites got their land. But one other lesson I think that we learned tonight is to be faithful to your friends. Be a faithful friend. Whether it be Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh fighting for seven years so that they could get rest, or the children of Israel coming back and confronting what looked to be very evil. You see, friends will really make a difference in your life. I read this Chinese proverb. It says, Life is partly what we make it, and partly what it is made by the friends that we choose. So we need to choose good friends and we need to be good friends. I'll close with this one story. Have you guys ever heard of Sam Rayburn? Have you guys ever heard of him? Like, yeah, I work with him. No, it's a different Sam Rayburn, okay? (laughs) Mr. Sam Rayburn, he was Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. He was Speaker longer than any other man in history. And you're probably going to find out why. There's a story about him that reveals the kind of man he was. What happened was the teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night. And so early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door. And when he opened it, there was Mr. Rayburn standing outside. And so the speaker said, I just came by to see if I could do anything to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do. Mr. Speaker, we're, all, we're making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? And the man replied that they had not taken time for breakfast. 
And so Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. And so while he was there working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president and I told him I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. Imagine that, turning down breakfast at the White House. You know, chorizo con huevos, all that kind of stuff. No, imagine that. No, seriously, real story. Why? Because there was a friend in trouble. You know, I know it's hard sometimes, you guys, to intervene. And you always got to make sure you do it with love. Man, don't let the enemy stop you. We need each other, you guys. We really do. We want to point everybody to Jesus Christ and the beautiful, wonderful life that He offers to us. Amen? Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for Your love and grace in our life. And Father, I pray, Lord, that You would wash me and just continue to work in every life here. One thing I know, Lord God, only You can do the work. And I pray that You would, Lord. I pray for every single person here, Lord, that right now you would bless them, encourage them, challenge us, Lord God. Show us things in our life that need to change and give us the power to follow through and to let you be the Lord of our life, to let you be God in our life. We love you and we thank you so much, Lord, knowing that all your promises are true. One day we, as your kids, we're going to be their home in heaven. We know that your promises are true, Lord. And we long for that day. But in the meantime, Lord, I pray you would touch every one of us, Lord, and strengthen us tonight, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And just with every eye closed, every head bowed, just in case you're here today and you maybe don't know the Lord and today you want to come to the Lord. You know, today you want to return to the Lord. Today you want to get right with the Lord. Right where you're at, just in case, if there's anyone here, would you raise your hand? We're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, so much. That beautiful hand that's gone up. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord, so much. Just in case, man. You know, you could maybe be coming to church and not really be right. Today's the day. Tonight's the night to get right. Thank you so much, Lord, for the hands that have gone up. Anyone else? Father, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. I thank you. You're a God who gives us rest. You did the work. You died on the cross. And your love, it never changes, Lord. And so I pray tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that all those who raise their hands and just all of us here today, Lord, would experience a new life and power and anointing. Because you give us your word, Lord, and then I really do believe you want us to go and to live your word out. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for tonight, for meeting us here. I pray in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. For those of you who raise your hand afterwards. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte, 
at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.